0: hello and welcome this is Karen Modikides and you're listening to how she really does it the place where inspiration and possibility meet hello my friend Today is a really heartfelt day for me. And before I get started into the show, a reminder, are you receiving emails from me? On Sundays, I send the Sunday love and on Fridays, we're doing the Friday podcast and we're currently taking a break from Wisdom Wednesdays. So there's a couple of emails out every week and it's all done with love. So if you signed up for it, make sure that it's actually going into your inbox and not into your promotions box, especially if you're a Gmail user. We also on the website at www.howshereallydoesit, we offer a free mindset practice workbook for you. So go ahead and grab one of those. So the reason that it's a heartfelt show today is it's been very reflective as I think about the show. And I just finished 13 years, 13 years. Can you believe that? Oh my gosh. So it's 2019 right now. And back in 2006 is when I first started my show. And I wanted to take you back to that, to think about this process and where I am. And and now like even with my kids of the transitions and who I am today versus who I was back then. So I finished 13 years of this show. And for those of you that want to know, yes, of course, I've wanted to quit along the way. I've thrown tantrums. I've had drama (laughs) and I've had great opportunities and excitement from the show. And I do truly, truly love it. And my heart goes out to so many of you who have let me know how much this show has really helped you in your life, because it is for you. And a little secret for you, you're going to find out it's also been for me, though I didn't know that at the time. So back in 2006, I had four kids and, you know, as usual, I was hustling for my worthiness. didn't even know what worthiness was, but I was really, I was a queen approval whore, really working really hard to get everybody to like me and approve of me. And I just felt like I was utterly failing. It didn't matter what success I had. And here's an interesting story. In 2002, I'd had my youngest daughter. We are now a family of six. We had my husband's two kids who I'd been raising for a long time and then our daughter and who was about two and then my baby. And I remember we were at the state championships and we'd worked really hard and I was really committed to coming back after my daughter was born and being there for my team because this was gonna be my last year with some of them. And we were down in Pasadena, California at the state championships, and they were swimming well and stuff and they just had an amazing meet and two of the guys became state champs and we got fourth at the state meet and it was the highest placing ever for the college. And I remember going home that night in tears going, Oh my gosh, I don't know how ever top that again. It was supposed to be a great successful night and I was miserable. (laughs) So this is kind of the mindset that I was going through in 2006, no matter on the outside of how my life looked and on the inside the great things on the outside but on the inside it didn't match up. So here I am believing I'm failing, not believing in my own worthiness and on the outside had a very different story. Looked like I had this fantastic life, this great marriage, little than most people know at the time it wasn't a great marriage, blended family, the kids loved each other, I worked full time, it looked like I was the woman who had it all, right? I could bring home the bacon, but I could have a career. I could have kids. I could have a relationship. I had friends, but I was miserable inside. And not only was I miserable inside while the outside looked good, but really I hated myself and I didn't even know that. My stress was high because I had so much self-hatred. Because everything I did, I didn't believe was good enough, like point and take 2002. And then 2004 was another great, fantastic year for my team, for my women's team. And then 2005 was another great year. Like I had great things going on in my life and in my career, but it was never good enough. Does that sound familiar? So the stress was high. Tears were very common, especially in the evening. And the numbing was my solution. So often I've talked about the three bowls of ice cream and deserving it because I had a hard day and food was definitely my numbing. Television was another source of numbing, just getting through the day. And I just thought, I remember in 2006 going, I just need a hack. At this point, I had two kids in high school, one in kindergarten and one in preschool And working full time and juggling back and forth with my husband. And I just, I just need a hack, right? I just need some more information. Somebody will just tell me I'm not doing it right. So I can know what the right thing to do is. I was looking for perfection. I was looking for the right answer. And I'm like, gosh, if I could just learn it. And really I was looking for that secret. It's like, what is it that everybody else knows that I don't know? Then i would be great, right? I'd be happy, loving my life, all of that. Life would be easy but you know, I'm exhausted, right? I have a really full life, which I continue to have in a much different way. And I didn't believe I had time and I didn't have energy to read, even though man, oh man, one of my favorite things to do was to go to the bookstore and buy that book that was going to change my life. Does this sound familiar? It's like, Ooh, buy it. And it would sit on the nightstand and collect dust and be there and be there and be there. And it would, you know, I'd start to get agitated because I would beat myself up of, see, here's another thing, Corinne, that you can't get done. So I thought about it some more and, you know, I was like, okay, how can I be a better mother? You know, how do I raise a blended family? What I didn't realize at the time I wasn't even aware of is how do I raise a blended family? And at this point I'd been doing this for 13 years but how do I raise a blended family and be like Carol Brady? I was comparing my real life with the TV life of Carol Brady. And let's not forget, I worked full time. My husband worked way more than full time. We both did. And we had four kids and the bonus kids, their mom was around too. So very different than the Brady bunch who had Alice. I do want my own Alice. I was thinking about that today. They had Alice, Carol Brady didn't work. Mike Brady seemed to be home quite often And I remember the biggest tragedy was Marsha getting hit in the nose with the football. And I'm thinking my life should be like this. And it must be because I'm such a failure and such a loser. So that was all the drama that was going on in my head. And I thought, I just need to find out how to be a better mother, how to raise a blended family, and how to be happy. And maybe a radio show can help me. And what I didn't realize was what I was really looking for was how to finally like myself and be confident in who I was and what I had to offer in my life to those I connected with, those that I communicated with. I'm not even talking about this radio show. I'm just meaning the people that I was in connection with, whether it was the college with my family, with friends, my community, that's what I needed, but I didn't even know. So at this point, prior to this idea of a radio show was I was like, okay. So for a number of years, I bought the books, right? Collected the dust on the nightstand. I had been watching Oprah since about 2000. And I was like, okay, but I still need more. They need a radio show about that can specifically help me about how to do it. I just need somebody to tell me how to do it. How often do you want somebody just to tell you how to do it? And then as soon as they tell you, you're like, no, that's not it. (laughs) So anyways, I was at kindergarten pickup one day. I think my season had just finished because I got to be there. And I had all the guilt of a working mom. And I ran into a friend of mine who is an executive director. Shout out to Autumn. And I know she still listens from time to time to the show. But I said to her, I said, hey, have you ever thought of starting a show about how women do it, you know, and how to help them? And she looked at me and she said, well, Corinne, why don't you do a radio show? And I looked at her like she was crazy. I was like, wait, don't you realize I'm a swim coach? I am a teacher. This is what I do. I work at the college. <laughs> like radio is not what I do. And in fact, you guys, listen to what's hilarious. I didn't like to listen to talk radio. When I was going to graduate school, we would, when we were commuting, we actually listened to, oh my gosh, I can't even remember the show it Was a sports channel, but I would listen to the sports show and I, and I kind of liked the banter and stuff. But other than that, I never really listen I never listened to radio, especially, I mean, talk radio. I listened to music radio, but not talk. I was always a visual person. And here I was like wanting this radio show. And, and I think partly it was like, oh, while well, I'm commuting. I can listen to it. You know, I can work out and I can listen to it. I'll be very productive and efficient with my time. So anyways, my friend Autumn was like, well, Corinne, you pitch it to the station and why don't you create one? Oh, yeah, yeah okay, that's another one of those people that's crazy and thinks I'm way more capable than I actually am. How often do you do that in your life? Somebody offers something and you discount it. You're like, they don't even know what they're talking about. That's not something I can do. That's not who I really am. Yeah, that's me. So kindergarten ends. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. But there was never a deadline. I never had to like, oh, I had to get in, you know, the pitch by the end of the school year. So time goes on, time goes on. And I'm more and more and more miserable. I'm trying to figure out what it is I need to do. And I run into her at the start of first grade. And she said, Hey, Corinne, we don't have your pitch. I'm like, what? She said, there's somebody else that has your idea that's interested in pitching for a show. Well, that's a huge catalyst for me, right? My competitive motors fire up. I'm like, Oh, I better get this done because if I don't, I'm going to lose this opportunity. And here I am 2019, 13 years later, still going. I don't go on the air anymore for radio, but I have the podcast and who would have thought iTunes and all of this stuff and people around the world. It's like mind blowing. I didn't know if I'd be on after six shows and That is the start of the journey. And I've talked about it quite a bit throughout the years, but this is a little bit more in depth of what it was that I wanted. And then now I think about where I am in 2019. So my youngest is a senior in high school. When I started this show, she was in preschool. So really her life with me that she knows is me having a podcast, right? My older daughter is a sophomore in college. And then the other two are out of college now. It's mind blowing. And here I am. I feel like I'm doing the same old, same old, I've got the mic, doing the show. A lot of the graphics are the same. We're going to work on changing that up. But here I am. And now it's a very different show because it used to be an interview show. And then after when I was having that kind of drama about doing interviews anymore, and I didn't really want to, then I did guest co-hosts. And now for the most part, it's a monologue. It's me talking But I think about who I've become in this process. And when I think about that woman back in 2006, who on the outside looked like she really had it all, but on the inside was really struggling. I'm like, wow, because today I sit here in 2019 and go, and I say this quite often. I said it a lot today in one of my workshops I held is I live an amazing life and there are shit shows everywhere. I smile really big when I say that because it's really true. (laughs) I do live an amazing life. Like I get to be here with you. I get to work with the most amazing clients who really trust this process and our partnership. I get to coach with the Aqua Monsters and be a part of that community. And there's a lot of heartache in that community for me as well. And I have my husband and my daughters and my family and friends, and I live this amazing life. And there's pain and suffering and I make mistakes and I say things where I stick my foot in my mouth. And most importantly, I don't hate myself anymore. And I've learned to become my own best friend. Some years ago and one of my clients, she's so darling when we were doing a consult, I had asked her, I said, well, what's the result that you're looking for? Like at the end of this, your partnership, what would you want? And she said, I want to be my own best friend. I'm in this incredible marriage. My husband really loves me. I've got these kids. I have this business that I run, but I want to be my own best friend. And I remember when she said that, I was like, huh, you're going to spend all this money to be your own best friend. I cannot tell you how important being your own best friend is because it is your foundation of how you show up in your life. And so she taught me how important it is to be your own best friend. I never thought of it in those ways. It'd be like, oh, be compassionate with yourself. Be gentle. you know, Own your story. We hear all these things, but talk to yourself the way you would talk to somebody you love. Talk to yourself the way you would talk to your friend. And depending on who you are, sometimes it may be talk to yourself the way you would talk to the grocery store clerk. Again, depending on how you treat your relationships. But when I think about being your own best friend, I think about like really knowing all of you, knowing, you know, the great things like I'm tremendously loyal. When I care about you, I am a hundred percent on board. You know, I can get really grumpy and be short. I can be, I used to be really sarcastic in my twenties, but I don't think I'm so sarcastic anymore because I've learned that that's armor. I can be really resistant and I'm extremely shy, which most people I think are surprised of, I'm very shy in social situations. I can have a fear of missing out even today. Like I know that I have a fear of missing out. I remind myself, Oh, Corinne, this is just FOMO and it's okay. You're a 47 year old woman. You're not missing out on anything. Right. And I'm a really good friend and a committed partner in life. So I've become my own best friend and I will call me on my own stuff. And not that, I mean, I still need other people in my life. My husband's more than willing to call me out. So are my kids and so are my friends. But I'm my own best friend. I have my back. I check in and I go, hey, Corinne, what is it that you think? What's important to you? Or hey, Corinne, I notice you've been quiet and you haven't used your voice. You can be brave and speak out. It's okay to have a different opinion than somebody else. Or, You know what, Corinne, you were really brave at that board meeting last night and it's okay. You feel vulnerable right now. So those are examples of me being my own best friend and then also learning how to enjoy time with myself and be really okay with hanging out with myself and enjoying that, not thinking, oh no, you're just a loser because you're home tonight by yourself and everybody else is having a grand old time and you're not when actually you're doing exactly what you want to be doing. So becoming my own best friend has been this most incredible journey and I am so grateful for the show because I learned a lot of wisdom from all the guests that I had on over the years, the connections that I made and the ability to show up and be brave in a public way and do something that I didn't have training for, didn't have experience of, but I was really driven by my curiosity. And I was so excited to be doing something that was so heartfelt for me. And then what bloomed from that was this community of people that got the insights and the wisdom from so many of my guests that I had over the years and this connection that we've had within the community and within the people. So I'm so, so appreciative. And in these 13 years, the key things that I've learned is one, compassion's really, really important. And compassion doesn't mean that you become resigned. Because I used to think that it's like, oh, if I'm just not hard, and if I'm not tough, then nothing will happen. But actually, from this place of compassion, that's where I have a lot more energy and resilience to get things done, figure things out, overcome those obstacles. And so anytime there's an obstacle, it's like, well, but why do we have to think that way? There's, there's other ways <laughs> because I'm so much more observant about things. The other part thing that I've learned is how important our beliefs are and how limiting they can be and how unaware I was of my beliefs. Because remember, in 2006, I was beating myself up because I was, thought I should be Carol Brady. I didn't even know that that was a message that was being sent. It took me some time to unpack that and realize I was comparing myself to a television character that didn't have similarities to me other than it was a blended family. So my thoughts and learning how to feel my feelings and being comfortable with all sorts of feelings instead of numbing. Nowadays, I'm really learning how to be more comfortable or just feeling and noticing what it feels like to be excited in my body and really embracing that. And over the last, I don't know, maybe a year and a half or so, really getting into that space of joy, I'm going, wow, you know, this is just amazing. Look at this life that I've created and really appreciating it and being happy. Because sometimes it's easy just to go back to like the tragedy or woe is me, right? That's not easy. It's just hardwired in. So, feeling my feelings, knowing my thoughts, feeling compassionate, and becoming my own best friend, and really being aware of how shame has shown up in my life and the stories that I've told myself, and then my own strategies to disconnect from it and learning how to move through it. So, you know, 13 years ago, I was a woman who was unhappy, and the outsides and the insides didn't match. And I would say, in 2019, the outsides and the insides match. Oftentimes I'm perplexed because who I am is who I am. And, and that's something that I'm so grateful for. And it's really nice to be able to just be me authentically and allow myself to show up in my life and not have to be different people. And if <laughs> the other day somebody had asked me how he's doing, I was went to the pool and somebody asked me, I was doing, I looked at him and I'm like, <sighs> I'm like, I am okay. They're like, oh, that's too bad. I go, it's not bad. I'm just okay. It's not a great day today. It's not a horrendous day today. I'm okay. Right. And some days it's not okay. And that's okay. Not everything has to be this grand illusion high, and not everything is horrible. Remember, I live an amazing life and there's shit shows everywhere. And I want to talk about now 13 things that I've learned by hosting this show. That helped me become my own best friend. And in a future episode, I'm going to talk about becoming your own best friend. The first one is, remember, I started the show or what I was seeking and when I thought they should start the show was I needed a hack. Just get me some tips and tricks to show me where I don't understand and so that I can do better so I can live better. And it's so funny because I just noticed there's some things in some other arenas in my life. I'm like, oh, that's still showing up. There is no hack, my friend. (laughs) There really, really isn't. It takes time. It takes practice, which I'll get to. The other thing is, there is no secret. Now, if you've noticed, and I think this is true, especially over the more recent years than maybe the early years, is I don't believe I use that word secret. Like, oh, here's the secret. Here's the secret sauce. I've just hated that because it ignites scarcity. And one of the other things about secrecy is that it's not inclusive and inclusivity is a huge value of mine. So I don't use that word secret because we know from being on the show that scarcity sits in the sheets with shame and shame is not enough. We have enough shame as it is. We don't need to add to it by saying, "ooh, a secret. And then people come in. And then the problem with that is when you make decisions rooted in shame, it's never a good path to go down and go test it out. And I've noticed when people get drawn in with secrets and they're like, "Ooh, this is going to be amazing. And they get to the other side and they're like, really? What the hell was that? So there is no secret. In fact, all this information is out there and available. There isn't a magic wand. <laughs> Gosh, how I wish there was a magic wand. I really want bippity boppity boop. Just want it to be done. I want the fairy godmother I want instant transformation and I, for a long time, I wouldn't even say, use the word transformation because I'm like, transformation just doesn't happen quickly. No, transformation happens over time. For me, it was 13 years. There is not a magic wand. It's okay. It doesn't mean that change can't happen and you may get ignited and then you may fall back into your old ways and then you can still continue to transform, but do it without a magic wand because there's no magic wand. The next one is, number four is, you really don't want the white knight to rescue you. I know, (laughs) it's my fallback. It's like, where's the white knight? I want him to come in and rescue me. And I laugh. I laugh with myself because here I'm this feminist. I believe that well-behaved women really make history and I'm nobody's the boss of me. I'm the leader of my life and all that. And then how often can I default to, I just want the white knight to rescue me. I want somebody to rescue me. I don't even want to be told what to do. I don't want the white knight and how often when the white knight has come in, they didn't do it the way you thought they should. Years ago, I interviewed Barbara Stanley a bunch of times and she has a book called Prince Charming Isn't Coming. And I believe whether it's Prince Charming or the white knight that we actually disempower ourselves when we want somebody else to fix it for us and it makes us dependent on somebody else. So how is that going to work for you when that person isn't there? I'm not saying we're supposed to go it alone, but how about instead of somebody rescuing you, you have somebody walk with you or have somebody know that you have your back so that you will be supported. That, my friend, is way more empowering. Number five, time is essential. Remember when I talked about transformation, there's not instant transformation. It's how you transform over time. It's about giving yourself the space to fall down and get back up and fall down and get back up. And I learned this over the years in different ways. And one was just with the idea of, I am a really good swim coach and I can't teach anybody how to swim in six hours. It takes time. It takes practice. And what we want is we want it to happen instantly. We don't want to go through the difficulties of what it takes and the messes of what it takes to get there. And it's so easy to just disregard what's happening and say, Oh, see, it's not possible for me, but we need to give ourselves time. We need to give ourselves space. And when I give myself space, it doesn't mean I get lackadaisical, but I give myself that space, that container to do the work and allow it to evolve. And that allows for scarcity to wither away. I have time. I'm going to keep practicing. I'm going to keep showing up. So time is essential. I invite you to be patient There are four strokes in swimming. Some people call the dolphin cake the fifth stroke, but there's four strokes. I spent 14 years working on getting better at that. And we often think, oh, we need more, you know, differences and we need more variety so that we don't get bored. Well, I drink pretty much the same cup of coffee every morning and I love it. (laughs) So we don't think we need as much change as we believe we do practice and refine, practice and refine. And the other part is when you have time, you allow yourself to truly develop and grow and learn, and you allow yourself to fall down and recover and get back up. And then that's how you learn and get it in your bones. So time is essential. Number six, allowing myself to be a slow learner. That served me so well for a period of time because I had a belief that if I was intelligent, I would pick things up quickly and I could pick up concepts and understand things and connect with my guests really quickly. And I would understand it on the intellectual level. But then there was a disconnect from between understanding it and actually living and doing it. And then I would get frustrated with myself. And what I had to realize and I had to give myself the space of is that I'm a slow learner. That means it's going to take me time to learn this and that's okay. And when I learn it, I will get it in my bones. So for a number of years, this was a really, really important belief for me to help me become more patient, to become less hard on myself and to take things and learn things at a deeper level. And then I thought I was going to hold on to that belief forever. And then I started to notice, after a while, I got really comfortable with that. I was like, yeah, I'm a slow learner. Oh yeah, I'm a slow learner. That's why I'm not getting this done. It became the excuse. So what was once my strength and really supported me, I evolved out of that belief and I had to let that go. I'm a learner. I really know in my bones that it takes me time. I'm willing to practice. I'm willing to fall down. But I no longer say I'm a slow learner because that actually allows me to indulge. So what once served me and gave me the space allowed me to then indulge many, many years later. So I've let that one go for me. Number seven, I finally understood what my mentors, my friends, my family meant when they would say to me, Corinne, you're really being hard on yourself. I would look at them confused, much like I looked at Autumn when she said, well, why don't you pitch the show? I was like, what are you talking about? Be hard on myself. I need to get my shit together. I don't understand what you're talking about. If I could just get my shit together, then everything would be so much better. Um, hello. (laughs) Hello, Corinne. That is an example of being hard on yourself. I was so hard on myself. Another way I was hard on myself goes back to my unreasonable expectations, the comparing and despairing my expectations that I should be Carol Brady, Mm -hmm. that my life should be a certain way that I should be happy with all that I had because I'm really fortunate. And that was me being hard on myself instead of saying, okay, what is the truth about Carol Brady? What is my truth? What are the things that I aspire to? What are the great things about my life? And where may be some of the gaps? Do I want to improve them? Do I want to let them go? Really taking a look at that. But I was so filled with self-hatred and I was filled with self-blame where basically essentially became that I just believed everything was my fault. You know, if somebody did something, it's like, oh, of course it's my fault. I had to get out of that and understanding what being hard on myself is like, oh, There is a better way. Hence, it's called compassion. Number eight, I didn't really quite understand this or intellectually, but it makes sense because I was searching for it for my whole life. I thought it was about fitting in, but really what I truly longed for was belonging and connection. And what I realized was I was trying to belong to all these other people because I thought the external would bring in the internal and make me feel better. But to really get to that place of belonging and connection, it needed to start with myself. Belonging to myself was key to being able to belong anywhere else. And along with that belonging partner is connection. I had to be connected to myself. What am I feeling? What am I thinking and really understanding that? What am I telling myself? What do I believe? What am I afraid to believe? What am I experiencing? What is my truth? what's my opinion of this? What do I want? And really getting connected with myself then allowed me to belong to myself, which then allowed me to belong and connect with others. Number nine, managing my mindset. Holy moly. So in 2009, I interviewed Carol Dweck, who's the Stanford professor and also the author of Mindset. And she's done some incredible research about Our mindset, the thoughts that we think. And one of the things that her research has shown is that the thoughts that you think can create the results in your life. Now, if I'm 5'11 and I say to myself, I'm going to be 5'4, 5'4, 5'4, that's not going to happen, right? But the thoughts that you think can create the results in your life. Are you looking for evidence that you are worthy? Are you looking for evidence that you are a horrible person? You'll find them both. So, When I was interviewing her, I was like fascinated. I'm like, wow, the thoughts that you think can create the results in your life. And I'd heard Dr. Wayne Dwyer say, you know, when you change the way you look at things, the way you look at things change. And I'm like, these sound great and they're great sound bites. Now, how do you do it? Tell me what to do (laughs) because I don't know how to do it. And she's like, you just change your thoughts. I'm like, but how do you change your thoughts? She's like, you just do. So then I went became on this quest of like, okay, how do I change my thoughts? What is it that I do? It took me a long time, a lot of falling down practices but this is what I now teach my clients. This is how I coach them, where we learn how to manage our mindset and how their thoughts then influence their lives and how they can be a deliberate creator in their lives now versus in the lives that they may have not have wanted. So managing my mindset has been so imperative in my life. And I, I use the word very deliberately manage versus control. I don't like to be controlled. And I found that my thoughts are in that same realm, they're like, you're not the boss of me. Let me show you, here's what's in your subconscious. And I'm like, holy moly, that's in there. It's like the addict, you're like pulling out boxes going, what the hell's in there? So managing my mindset. Number 10, compassion is different than being nice. When I was a young coach and young faculty person, I was worried because I saw a lot of nice people get walked over and I was in a very male dominated field and I didn't want to be walked over. I wanted to be strong. And the way to be strong was to puff up. And so I remember I came up with this concept. I can be nice and be walked over, or I can be a bitch. And my version of nice is that, look, I'm on your birthday. I'm not going to be baking you cupcakes and bringing them. That's just not what I do. And I thought it was an either or black and white, all or nothing. And that's the way my mindset was really back then. And what I've learned is that compassion is actually way different than being nice. That nice of like, oh yes, sure. Walk all over me. Oh, I can't say ever say no to you. Oh yes. I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. And instead, compassion is about kindness. Compassion has boundaries. Compassion, there's common humanity because we all have difficult things and having that understanding. So what I have learned is that compassion is different than being nice and compassion for me is the most empowering feeling state that I can feel because it gives me a brighter perspective of stuff. It allows me to be grounded. It allows me to care. It allows me to be brave and say, here's what's okay. Here's what's not okay. Okay. Compassion is not an excuse for behavior that can be hurting of others. I didn't want to say bad behavior, but when people do something and it's really not okay, whether it's to talk to you in a certain manner or do something, do you say, you know what, this is, doesn't work or it's not okay. This is our, the way we need to be focused. focus. Here's what's okay. Here's what's not. Compassion has boundaries. Number 11, speaking of boundaries is boundaries are loving when rooted in compassion. And what I mean by that is that when you have boundaries, it allows for things to be clear. Here's what's okay. Here's what's not. For instance, I grew up in an Asian household and growing up, we didn't wear shoes in the house. And I remember feeling so awkward when I'd have my, you know, white friends come over and, you know, I would never tell them that we didn't wear shoes in the house, but they would do that. And I didn't feel, you know, didn't feel good inside of me. And my mom might get mad, right? Versus if I was clear and say, oh, by the way, (laughs) we're different. Even though I look white, I'm half Asian and we don't wear shoes in the house. And it's not you're a bad person because you wear shoes in the house. This is just our family value. And this is what we do. So by being clear, it lets the other person know, because most often when you're a guest in somebody else's house, you don't want to be disrespectful of the rules that they have in place of the boundaries they have in place. So when you have boundaries, it allows for things to be clear. The other thing that's really important with boundaries is that they're consistent. So people know like, oh, here's what to expect. Here's what's okay. Here's what's not okay. Think about it. If a red light meant stop most days, and then some days a red light, a signal light meant go, we would have a lot of traffic accidents. Red light means stop. Green light means go. Those are universal colors for stop and go. We are really clear about that. So if we go to another country, we know that red means stop and that's consistent. Consistency is important. Number 12, it really, really is okay to make mistakes. It really is. And I don't mean, you know, the it's okay to run a red light and hit somebody and kill somebody. And that's the kind of mistake because there's serious consequences for that. And that's going to be really painstaking for you and the people involved. But I'm saying when we make mistakes, when we say something and we're like, oh my gosh, I just stuck my foot in my mouth or I wasn't very perceptive of what they were going through, or I didn't even think of how I could be viewed as elitist when I really wanted to be inclusive and I said something that stuck my foot in my mouth, whatever it may be, it's like we can make mistakes and circle back and apologize for if there was any harm done, apologize for saying something that was out of alignment with who you really are. That's one way of making mistakes, but making mistakes, learning and growing, it's really okay because there's no such thing as perfection. And we don't want perfection because I really believe in this is that perfection is the birthplace of shame. We're trying to hustle, right? That worthiness. Let me look perfect. That was kind of my old life. And look at how miserable I was. And the other thing about making mistakes is that we can get back up. We can fall down and get back up. That's what babies do when they're learning how to walk. That's what kids do when they're running and they fall down. We'd say, look, you can get back up. And this is so important because this is what makes us grow. This is what makes us stronger. And then this is also Remember the whole idea that we're not supposed to go to alone, getting somebody's hand to help you up. It's okay. It's okay, my friend. The other thing about making mistakes is we have the ability to learn and evolve. Really from my mistakes have come some of my greatest lessons from my successes, not so much, but from my mistakes, when I can be in that compassionate place, I can really learn. And then finally, number 13, because 13 years, so 13 things, who I've become over the past 13 years, and this is really important for you to understand, who I've become over the past 13 years has always been inside of me. So when I work with my clients to evolve to the best version of themselves, it's not to become somebody else, somebody who they're not. What it is, is about being you. So for me, that meant that I had to take off all of those supposed to's and it wasn't I had to, I got to take off like, this is who you're supposed to be. This is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to act. This is, you know, all of these supposed to's. I also got to stop worrying about what other people thought. And this, my friend, is an ongoing practice because sometimes I can notice, I'm like, ooh, what do they think? Do they like me? Do they not? Ooh, let me start approval whoring. Let me get them to like me versus me being grounded in me and letting myself fully show up and letting them like me or not like me. And that's okay. I chose to let other people have their stories about me. And this was some serious, deep work because I really wanted to control the narrative Because I didn't know what my own narrative was. So by letting people have their stories about me, I got out of their business and I went to, what is my story? What is my truth? And I started to write my story and own my story and allow it to be my truth. And be doing that, I let myself be seen. I know I can be loud and I can be energetic and I can be fierce and I get all of that. And I can be quiet and I can be shy and I can be withdrawn and I can be grumpy. I can be bitter. Like I know all of that. And I just allow myself to be seen. And I look at what I can revive, what I can, you know, let go of, understanding why am I getting grumpy? And oftentimes I need more sleep. I need to be able to take care of myself more. By letting go of the stories that people had about me and letting them have it, that's their story, that's their choice, I was able to write my own story and let myself be seen. And I let myself be disliked by others. And (laughs) Remember, I'm a recovering approval whore. That is not something that I ever wanted. I was a great chameleon trying to be who other people wanted me to be for a huge part of my life because I wanted to be liked so badly because I thought if other people liked me, then I could finally like myself. And actually what I learned was it's my job to like me and that is way more empowering. And what tends to happen is the right people then like me, the right people, meaning my people, the people that we have common interests that we have, you know, connections with, and we can even have differing of interests, but we have the ability to have, you know, compassion and be growth minded and be willing to talk about our differences without judgment. So what I know is that I had to painstakingly let myself be liked. Not only (laughs) was it important for me to let go of people who didn't like me, but it was probably even more painstaking. (laughs) It was more painful, I guess, of letting myself be liked and even adored by other people because I was like, oh, if they like me or adore me, then what happens when I fall down or I make a mistake or I'm not perfect? I can't do it as well. So I had to learn how to receive it and give myself permission that I'm not going to do it perfectly. I'm going to show up and there's days I'm going to be messy and there's going to be days that I'm going to be loving and there's going to be all versions of me, but essentially me. I'm a human being with emotions. That's messy. (laughs) It's not clean. It's not sterile. So I had to let myself receive people who liked me and adored me. And the gift that I've been able to give myself is that I've come back to me. I've come back. Simon Sinek did an interview with me years ago, and we talked about my kindergarten self and how I was there to be me. And that's really been my journey to be me, to be authentically me and to give others the space to be authentically them. And I remember the little girl who was singing Korean songs on the playground doing, I think is it called hopscotch? And I was in my overalls with my red turtleneck and my hair flowing. And I was just so happy to be me and jumping around. And I didn't worry if they were thinking, wow, she's singing this weird song. We don't understand her, but she's white. And then she's wearing this outfit that she just really loves. I don't even know if it was in style or not. And I don't even care. I know I just love those clothings. I love to be able to move the way I was moving. I loved it all. And so the gift I've been able to give myself over these last 13 years is to get closer to that five-year-old girl who was already authentically her. So my friend, it is inside of you. You are inside of you and you can go back to you just as I've come back to me. And it's okay if you're going to be brave and afraid at the same time as you go on this journey. It is scary. It is vulnerable to be ourselves because we worry that we will get disconnected and we will be left behind. But I know from my journey and from my client's journey that it actually leads to truer connection. So as I leave today, I want to talk about two things that I did that helped me be brave as I stepped into that studio every week going, holy moly, this is such a dream. I'm so excited and I'm so afraid. And fortunately I didn't have the tools I have today, but there were a couple things that I knew how to do when it came back from my athletics days. And one of the things that I did is I read a poem that was in my folder. I had this purple folder and then I brought into the studio every week and it had the interview questions at first, which were like four pages. And then eventually worked into an outline as I became more confident and skilled at interviewing. And I would read that poem to myself. And then I would turn on the music for the show. And I would listen to that. And the music was like what I would do as an athlete to help me dial up my feelings. And I would get to this place of confidence. And then I would get on the air, make the connection. And then I'd forgotten people were out there listening. Cause at that time it was live radio and I just became present in the moment. And so for those of you that have been around for years, thank you so much for sticking with me and sticking with the show. And as my own involvement, those of you who just found the show, thank you for being here and part of this journey. Now I really, really thank you. And as I close out the show today, I want to read the poem that I read every week, every Friday as I sat in that chair before I went on live radio. It's by Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. You're playing small, does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us. It's in everyone. As we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our fear, our presence automatically liberates others. I hope that this show has been able to help you shine in your own life. Thank you so much. Hey. was an awesome lesson for her to incorporate into her life go to the show notes and there's a link in the show notes where you can sign up and get these emails in your box i'm smiling big for you On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting never been so wide away captured in-